Well, good morning. Good to have you with us this morning. I want to start by uh, introducing you to someone. Um, he's probably roaming the halls right now, but maybe you saw Emmanuel Lindsay in the hallway or in the foyer. Uh, he is our uh, APD officer that is on duty and during the morning times from 8 to 11 here at Oldham Lane. How that came about is our director of security, our head of security, Robert O'Dell, uh, pitched to the elders that, you know, we, we have some folks here that would volunteer and cover that, but um, I don't want to take them away from their families all the time where they can't worship. And, you know, if we could hire, you know, an APD officer to patrol uh, and be here to provide security, that would be great. And our elders thankfully said, yes, go with it. Whatever we need to do, just make sure that we're secure here at Oldham Lane. I think the days of saying that it could never happen here are over, right? And uh, so I, I want you to get to know Emmanuel. He's going to be with us most Sundays. And I kind of, maybe it's wrong to view it this way, I kind of see him as like the school resource officer. You know, he's like our church resource officer. So, uh, and hopefully he can just integrate into the church here and be one of us. I know he said his dad was a preacher. So uh, if you get a chance to meet Emmanuel, um, you have your kids go up, shake his hand. Great guy. We're glad to have him with us. And we're glad to have you with us. So as we continue our series, Jesus is Messiah, you know, um, Teddy Colick was mayor of Jerusalem for 38 years. And he was a beloved figure. Everyone loved Teddy Collick. There were some leaders in the community that were not Jewish, but were in fact Christian. And so Collick would meet with these Christian leaders and Jewish leaders quite often. And while it was always civil and amicable, the discussion always seemed to turn to matters of religion, right? Judaism versus Christianity. And there was a point where at one particular meeting, some Christian leaders asked Teddy Colick about his beliefs concerning Jesus Christ being the Messiah. And Mayor Colick responded, and I quote, When the Messiah comes, a committee of Christians and Jews should be assembled, compose a list of questions, and seek an audience with the Messiah. The very first question should be, Sir, have you ever been here before? Yeah, it didn't land in the first service either. Nobody thinks that's funny. <laughs> a very political answer though, right? For sure. A rather humorous answer and one that points to the glaring difference between Jews and Christians. Sir, have you ever been here before? Jews answer that question one way. Christians answer it another. And there's really no middle road, is there? Either you believe the Messiah has come, that he's going to come again, or you don't believe he's come at all. And there is no middle ground. Now, it's probably no surprise to you that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he has come, that he was crucified, died, and was buried, and on the third day rose again. He ascended into heaven, and that he is coming back. That's what I believe. Let me tell you why I believe that. Now, he said to them, there are my, my, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. 
you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So that statement, all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's why I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, what things is he talking about? Well, Isaiah revealed the manner in which the Messiah would be born. You know, the prophet Micah pinpointed the location in which he would be born. The book of Genesis, as well as the prophet Jeremiah, talk about the Messiah's ancestry. And then the Psalms foretold of the Messiah's betrayal, accusation by false witnesses, manner of death and resurrection. Need I continue? Okay, I will. Noah's deliverance through obedience and water, and how that foreshadows our deliverance from, uh, through obedience and in water, the waters of baptism. Moses is God's physical deliverer who points forward to a spiritual deliverer, which is Jesus Christ. King David is a shadow of the ultimate king who would come and reign in his kingdom and set up his kingdom. Boaz redeemed Naomi and Ruth, as we talked about a few weeks ago. He was their redeemer and, and, and took them from exile and famine back to the promised land. He is a shadow, of course, of the great redeemer. Then you have God who raised up Esther, who uh, was a deliverer. You know, she was willing to put her life on the line, sacrifice her own life for the sake of her people, and thus she points forward to the Messiah as well. Then you have an obvious picture of Jesus that is painted in the depiction or the episode of what happened on Mount Moriah, which means the Lord will provide. In that region, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only son Isaac. And of course, in that same region, God would sacrifice his only begotten son, Jesus. Also consider how Jesus was even present in the Garden of Eden. After their sin, God promises that the seed of woman would crush the head of the serpent, though his heel would be struck. Now, it's important to note that seed is always used in reference to man for obvious reasons that hopefully you can fill in the gaps. I used to teach junior high health, and I used to tell the kids, don't ask questions and don't laugh, and we'll get through it. So hopefully you can fill in the gaps without me having to tell you this morning. But seed was in reference to man. But here it's in reference to woman, which is a reference to the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ. Shall I go on? Okay, I will. There's Emmanuel. By the way, say hi, Emmanuel. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Clay read this a moment ago. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Clay, thank you for reading this and not using the pulpit as a bully pulpit and talking about how your Aggies beat my Razorbacks. Um, Isaiah is talking about restoration of hope here. And we, we went through this in detail uh, uh, several months ago. The prophet is painting a picture of future glory. As you know, the Israelites had several bleak moments in their history, right? Not the least of which was the one in which they were captived, uh, captured and taken into exile by the Babylonians. So concepts like hope and glory would have been concepts that were very foreign to them at this time. They just couldn't see it. But Isaiah is prophesying about something that was going to happen 700 years in the future 
when the Messiah would come, bringing hope and glory, a new kingdom. The new kingdom would include a new demographic, right? Are we all up to speed? Go over to Luke chapter 4, and we see these words. And he came, Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. And notice what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum. Do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you, in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which the city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went on his way. So, Jesus comes to the synagogue, he sits down, anytime a rabbi sat down, it meant that he was about to give the essence of his teaching. Rabbis always sat down to preach and teach. And I don't care if you have a great sermon, a mediocre sermon, or a lackluster sermon, most audiences will appreciate you if you're brief, right? Especially if you're uh, the guest speaker, right? You don't want to be remembered as that guy that went long who came to visit. So here's Jesus who sits down to preach, and he gives a very short sermon as the guest speaker. He recites two verses, basically, from Isaiah and a nine-word summary, and people aren't happy about it. In fact, they want to throw him off a cliff. Why? What set the people's hair on fire? No doubt they had heard about this Jesus. No doubt that they were probably impressed as they heard about this guy who was turning water to wine and controlling the weather and healing the lame, etc. By the time Jesus arrived to Nazareth, uh, he had a reputation, right? Perhaps the people were waiting to be impressed. He starts preaching and understand that the Jews were no strangers to Isaiah chapter 61. In fact, it's very possible that as Jesus preached these words and recited uh, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, they were nodding their head. They were mouthing along because they knew it like the back of their hand. The problem is they couldn't see the picture that Isaiah was painting. That's what set their hair on fire. That's what led to their disagreement. The audience in the synagogue that day would have had no problem with Jesus reciting a portion of Isaiah 61. They fully understood that message. They understood the message that was even being conveyed. But when Jesus said, it's me, well, that's when they became outraged. 
In essence, Jesus says, this is a self-portrait. Well, that was the height of blasphemy. Don't you dare insert yourself into what Isaiah is saying here. Jesus was really saying, I'm the figure Isaiah is painting. I'm the grand finale. I'm the end. I'm the completion. I'm the fulfillment of God's plan. Everything you read about in the Old Testament, everything that's been preached, the fact that I was born of a virgin woman, lived in Nazareth, was beaten, bruised, and betrayed, yet not one bone be broken, all of that pointed to me. I am the Son of God. I am the suffering servant. I am the anointed one. I am the Messiah, the Christ. He's here. You're looking at him, and that's what set their hair on fire. That's why they wanted to throw him off a cliff. Jesus says it's all part of the plan. And you know the plan. All things which were written about me in the law and the prophets, that message was all pointing to Jesus. And he says, here I am in your midst. That's why I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Because of the broad narrative of Scripture. All of it from Genesis 1-1 in the beginning to the last amen in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 21. Scripture tells the story of God's great rescue mission. And at the heart of that message and that mission is the Messiah who is Jesus Christ. I was reading the other day about a gentleman named Louis Lapidus. If that name sounds familiar to you, um, you may have come across it if you've read uh, Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ one of the men that he interviewed in that book. Louis Lapidus grew up in a Jewish home, was converted later, and even has done some preaching. Louis Lapidus talks about when he was younger, reading through Scripture in the Old Testament and deciding one day to flip over to the book of Matthew. And he said, as I turned over to the book of Matthew, I looked up in the sky to see if a lightning bolt was going to strike me. And then he said these words, and I quote, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He said those words leaped off the page. I thought, wow, son of Abraham, son of David, it was all fitting together. He went on to say, I couldn't put it down. I read the rest of the Gospels and an interaction between Jesus and the Jewish community. I got to the book of Acts, and, and this was incredible, he says. They were trying to figure out how the Jews could bring the story of Jesus to the Gentiles. And he said, talk about role reversal. But that's the deal. Once you see Jesus, you can't unsee him. He is everywhere. He is painted everywhere in Scripture. On every page of Scripture, we see Jesus leap off the page. Let me shift gears for just a second. You know, there are a lot of misconceptions out there that people buy into without really even giving it a second thought. For instance, have you ever noticed when you see a picture of a Viking or a depiction of a Viking, that they have horns on their helmet? Do you know that Vikings didn't wear helmets with horns? Yet just about every depiction has Vikings wearing helmets with horns. Okay, misconception. Have you ever heard that we only use about 10 to 20% of our brain? Neurologists say we use virtually all of our brain. That it's engaged most of the time. They say virtually every part of the brain, most of our brain is active most of the time. What, what about this one? Your fingernails continue to grow after you die. You know, you need certain body systems to make that happen that are just not there after you're deceased. Some people say that your cuticles recede and things like that that make it look like your nails may be growing, but they don't grow after you die. How about this one? If you handle a baby bird, its mother may reject it. 
Truth of the matter is, birds have a really poor sense of smell. So if you handle the baby, they're probably not going to even recognize your scent. How about a chameleon changes colors based on their environment? Actually, chameleons change color based on mood. Not necessarily circumstances, but temperature, communication, not surroundings. I could go on, but you don't look very interested, so I'll move on. (laughs) There's another misconception as it applies to Jesus as the Messiah. And it's this, that Christ is Jesus' last name. And some of you are thinking, well, Chris, it's not, you know. No, I mean, it's not. It's not a more formal way to address Jesus as Mr. Christ. What does Christ actually mean? Well, in the Greek, Christ derives from the word Christos. And it's not a true translation. It's a transliteration, meaning that the Greek letters have been changed into English so that we get the word Christ. Same is true in the Hebrew. The Hebrew equivalent is Messiah. Any guesses? What Messiah might mean? Well, it means anointed one. And actually, both Christ and Messiah mean anointed one, and they don't imply divinity. They actually don't point to divinity. Jesus himself, of course, was the Son of God and thus divine, but Christ is a title that really has nothing to do with divinity. Anointed one refers to the one chosen by God to fulfill a certain task. Kings were anointed, prophets were anointed, priests were anointed, and therefore all of these could rightfully be referred to as messiahs. In fact, David, Saul, Cyrus, they were all referred to as Mashiach or Messiah because they were anointed by God. Now, eventually the term Christ became so closely associated with followers of Jesus that the word became Christos in reference to Christ's followers. Because the term Messiah was a general term applied to prophets and priests and judges and kings and deliverers, the Jews wondered which one Jesus would be. Would he be a prophet? Would he be a king? Would he be um, a priest? Would he be a judge? What would the Messiah be? And of course, with Jesus, what did we get? All of them, right? Every single one of them. I mean, he's the total package. Jesus is the preeminent prophet. Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is king. Jesus is judge. Jesus is deliverer. It's rare that we get everything that we want. I mean, in a job, you would love to have a job where you worked less hours, didn't have to do a whole lot, but you got paid a whole lot, right? But you don't usually get that. You may get one of those things, but probably not all of them. When you go to buy a house, it's seldom that you get everything you want in a house. You rarely get a house that ticks all the boxes. You may get most things, but you don't usually get all the things. The last truck I bought, I went to see my friend Zach Winters, and he said, what do you want? I said, I want everything, and I don't want to pay anything. And he said, yeah, you and everybody else. That's what you want when you buy a car, right? You want everything, all the amenities, and you don't want to pay anything for it. It's rare that we get everything that we want But when it comes to the Messiah, when it comes to priest, prophet, judge, deliverer, savior, we get all of it, all rolled into one. Jesus is the total package. Now, I think it's important at this point to to emphasize what exactly is involved with Jesus coming as Messiah 
what that means that he ticks all the boxes. I think it's important that we, that we emphasize the totality here of what it means to follow Jesus as Messiah. How about this? Have you ever, you ever heard somebody make this statement? The Bible is our manual for how to get to heaven. You ever heard that statement? Well, read the first five books of the Bible. It's hard to understand that that's the theme, right? You would think that if that was the entire theme of the Bible, that the first five books would really set off the narrative, but they don't, do they? In fact, much of the Old Testament doesn't seem to point to the fact that the Bible is our manual for how to get to heaven. Do I believe the Bible contains the ingredients, the prescription, the recipe for how to get to heaven? Absolutely, I do. But I think what happens all too often is that some Christians, they, they narrow salvation to something very personal, which is not wrong. In fact, that's very right. But if we only see it as such, we miss the broader narrative. And there's a bigger picture at play here, right? When Jesus walks into the synagogue in Nazareth and sits down, when he starts quoting Isaiah 61, he very boldly proclaims, I am the Messiah, I am the anointed one. And then notice what the Messiah was sent to do. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To bring good news. In the Hebrew, it's the word basura. In the Greek, it's euangelion. God has anointed the Messiah. To bring good news to the poor, the meek, the persecuted, the afflicted, the anav. Remember that term that we used a few months ago? So the next question is, what is the good news that the Messiah was anointed to bring? Well, many modern day Christians would say how to get to heaven. And that is certainly good news. And I don't want to disparage that because I believe that is the gospel. That is part of the good news. But there's more. I just want to emphasize the more. When you read Isaiah in its entirety, there's a message that rings out. And that message, I believe, is clear. The message to Israel, to the northern kingdom, to the southern kingdom, to Judah, is you have sinned. Right? That's the message. You'll be hauled off into exile. Your cities are going to be destroyed. It's going to be really, really bad for you. God is going to judge your enemies as well. Every kingdom that stands in opposition to God is going to receive the judgment of God. But but at some point, the Messiah will come and he will announce the good news to the meek, to the persecuted, to the anav, to those awaiting rescue. Cities will be rebuilt. Restoration will occur. There will be peace and prosperity. As Isaiah says over and over again, God will return to Zion. That is the message that Isaiah is ringing out. God will return to reign as king. In fact, look at Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7. It says, how lovely on the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. And that is the good news according to Isaiah. 
that God will return as king, that he is in charge of this world, that somehow God's reign and rule will be reestablished and God and man will live at peace once again. Everything that has been defiled will be made right. There will be complete and total restoration. That's what the people were waiting for. They were waiting for some good news. And so when Jesus says the spirit of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, what he's saying is I'm the good news you've been waiting for. It's here. You see, it wasn't just about personal salvation and how you get to heaven, although that's important for sure. But that was never the whole story. The story, the good news, is the salvation of Israel, that Jesus is the fulfillment of that story. And as I've mentioned more than a few times recently, we find ourselves in this story. We find our place because Israel was meant to be a light to all the nations. That was their mission. They failed miserably in that mission. Jesus didn't. Jesus came to fulfill what they failed at. Jesus came to fulfill God's plan because through the Messiah, we find access to the kingdom. We are allowed entrance. We are a part of the family of God. That's where our personal salvation comes in, right? And don't misunderstand me. It's vitally important that we know how we become a part of the kingdom, what the gospel, the good news is, and how we are to respond. I just want us to, to see the bigger picture involved here. The good news is not just about how I can get to heaven. The good news is the king reigns. That's good news. That is the good news, that the king reigns. And because he reigns, guess what? Because he reigns, I can face persecution. Because he reigns, ultimately, how the election turns out Tuesday doesn't affect me long term. Because he reigns, I don't have to worry about all these world forces. My hope is in Jesus Christ, the king who reigns because he sits on the throne. He is in control of it all. And someday, everything that is wrong is going to be made right. And as we've talked about over the last few weeks... The anav, us, the meek, what do we do? We wait and we do good until he comes again. And we pray for his return. I love that so many of our folks here, when they've led the closing prayer, have said, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. That would fix all this, wouldn't it? Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. Are we praying for that? We pray for rain. We pray for a lot of other things. Are we praying that, Lord, come quickly? And are we ready for that? It's difficult to pray that if we're not ready for it, right? What is the goal of this life? I think many people would respond to get to heaven. Let's think broader. What if the goal of this life were to honor the king? If the king reigns, then our job is to honor the king, to live at the center of the king's will, to be about his message and about his mission, to continue to obey the gospel every day of our lives, to remember our baptism and, and filter out life through our baptism and remember that we are to be living lives of faithfulness. If we do all that, if we honor the king, then guess what? The destination is never in question. Right? You don't have to worry about going to heaven. It's not a question. Let's pray. Most kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day.
We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here as a church family. And we pray, God, that when we leave here, we will still be your church, that we will make a difference in the world around us, that we will let people know that we serve the King, that we honor the King by the way that we live, by the words that we speak, by living at the center of your will and being about your business. May we, God, seek always to honor you in everything that we do. And it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. I want to offer this invitation to you. Clinton's going to lead us in a song. If we can pray with you. I know this is, this is a time of year. If you've been, a, you've been a minister as long as I have, you notice that this time of year is always a difficult time of year. Even pre-COVID, this time of year, you always have more deaths. You always have more sickness. Funeral homes will tell you that as well. This is just that time of year, and I know a lot of people are struggling and dealing with some things. If we can pray with you, let us do so. Maybe you're ready to study the Bible with someone. Maybe you're ready to learn more about this good news. And maybe you're ready to respond to the gospel this morning and ready to put on Christ in baptism. Whatever your need is, why don't you come or let it be known after services if we can help you as Clinton comes. Stand and sing with us.